Welcome to Rework, a podcast by 37 Signals about the better way to work and run your business. I'm Kimberly Rhodes, and I'm joined by the co-founders of 37 Signals and the co-authors of Rework, Jason Fried and David Heinemeyer Hansen. One of the essays in Rework is called Press Releases Are Spam, and I thought this was a good chapter for us to talk about today because... As you guys know, 37 Signals has just recently launched a few products, including a whole new umbrella of business under the once umbrella with no press release. Most people would think you start a new product. You, of course, have a press release that you guys think differently. So tell me a little bit about that. Have you guys ever done press releases? Yeah, we've dabbled with press releases, I think, in the early days. And I think we actually, we did launch or did announce something with the press release in the past couple of years. I can't remember what it was oh when base camp four came out yes right and you know what's interesting is like you get like it shows up in a hundred different media outlets of some sort and it has no impact on traffic at all so you get a lot of coverage which if you want to print them out and put them on your wall like there's value in that if that's what you're after but it doesn't at least for us it hasn't it didn't drive anything right and so that was sort of an intuition that we had, which is why we hadn't done it in a while. Then we did it and you kind of see the same thing happen. Um, and I think the thing is, is that, you know, some people just want coverage and it'll get you coverage, but coverage, if it doesn't translate into traffic or sales or product interest, then like, I don't really know if it's worth it. And then, then you kind of feel silly because they're very formulaic. They have this like, you know, fake quote from someone who I guarantee you did not say it. I guarantee you they did not say the thing. There's what, two quotes? There's always like two quotes in a press release. It's this whole thing. It's all bullshit. And it just, you feel like an idiot. I mean, I, at least I do. I shouldn't say you. I, I feel like an idiot putting them out because they're just so bullshit formulaic, unnecessary. And then the press runs with one of your quotes and then they fill in the gaps and they're usually wrong. And it's just like, what, what was the point of this? Um, that said, I get it if you're brand new and you you know you want to start to build up some coverage and have links to media organizations that have written about you. Like there is a purpose for them in that way, but uh, I, I think it wears its welcome out very very quickly, and I think they're generally unnecessary. I think it's funny that we wrote that essay in Rework 2010. The essay was probably written several years earlier. And that was at a time where media coverage mattered in a completely different way than it does now. I think if you look at the current state of not just media in general, but marketing, it's become ever clearer that these old channels, just they're not doing the trick. Like at least in, say, 2005 or something, I could buy the story that maybe you were kind of fishing for gold. Maybe you got lucky. Maybe there was some journalist somewhere just sitting watching the stream of press releases going through and like not having anything else to publish that day. And they would pick out your press release and you'd be like, wow, I struck gold. And then write up a great story. And you just get like this flood of traffic. You would get discovered. You would be in the limelight here. Um, that's dead. It's probably been dead for quite a while, but it's deader than it's ever been. The kind of campaigns and the kind of media language that works these days is the sort of authentic, directly from the source sort of thing. Just a few days ago, Mark Zuckerberg did this impromptu review of the Apple Vision Pro. And one of the takeaways from that was, first of all, 
this is new. This is curious. Here's a CEO, not just like of some small little company of uh, whatever, the Magnificent Seven, the Fang companies, really diving into it. And it actually changed some people's opinion. Has a press release ever, ever changed anyone's opinion about anything? No, it has not. Because as Jason says, it is fake. It is bullshit. It has a certain rhythm to it. It's almost like a limerick. Like it, it's got to go, da, 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 quote, da, 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 quote. And when you have something packaged like that, people just turn off, right? They just turn off, which is why, of course, press releases were written to the press. This is why they had this sort of thing. And then you were hoping that they would regurgitate them in an interesting way. But to some extent, the Zuckerberg review of the Apple Vision Pro was kind of like, this is what the internet is supposed to be. The disintermediation of media itself. We go directly to the source. This is, of course, what Jason and I have been doing since basically the beginning. The vast majority of our marketing, the vast majority of our promotion has all been direct to customer. It's all been on Twitter, on our blog, on our newsletters, or on any of these things where we don't reach the consumer through someone else. And I think it's basically like, well, we've just kept doing that all the way from press releases of bullshit all the way to today, and the rest of the industry has come on board. And I think what we see, which is interesting, is we've gotten quite a bit of write-ups, usually not for press releases, but we'll do something else that's interesting, and The Verge will write it up, or TechCrunch will write it up, or some other outlet will write it up. And watching those statistics over just the last five years have been incredibly instructive. Even when you get like a major piece, like you're, you're mentioned with two quotes, they link to you half the time. Press outlets, they don't even fucking link, right? Like they don't make it a blue thing you can click and then do something with. But let's say, you, again, you hit the jackpot and they do that. And it drives less traffic than a throwaway tweet you wrote in two seconds. Like the media landscape really just is so different. And if you can go direct to consumer and you can be authentic in a way where people actually find you, I was just about to say credible, but you don't even need to be credible. You just need to be fucking interesting. You just need to say something that isn't da-da-da-da-da, quote, da-da-da-da-da. No one wants to fucking listen to that, right? So that's what I thought was so interesting with the Zuckerberg review. It's like, of course he's biased. Of course he's going to say that the MetaQuest is the best thing ever, that it's seven times cheaper and all the things. But it's still fucking interesting. And when even the king of human androids can appear interesting in that form, I think so can you. <laughs> so can more people, right? Like, this doesn't come natural to Mark, at least from the sort of perception of it, right? There was this other funny video. He was at a, a, a what's it called, UFC fight, like starting to get Wait, ready. was and that just, real? I'm, I saw that and I just assumed that was like an AI-generated image. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I think that was, uh, yeah. Well, I think this is the other thing we're going to come to, whether everything's just going to be bullshit from that. But I think it's such a great example because it is actually endearing, even though for years, for decades, like whenever he shows up in court, like everyone's like, oh, he's an android. He's saying like, let me say human things without the lizardness showing. Um, and it still works. So like if the most awkward major CEO can make this tactic of direct-to-consumer work, that's the trend. That's the way the wind is blowing. You know, another thing to add is um, I think if you do want coverage, you want coverage from a place that wouldn't read a press release. For example, I'd much rather be in Daring Fireball than in the New York Times. Um, John Gruber is not looking at press releases to decide what to write. He writes things that he thinks are interesting and his audience looks to him for what he thinks is interesting. 
And he's not, he's not on a press you know, circuit getting these, getting, you know, 1500 press releases sent to him and he's funneling through them all and go, that one's good. And that one's good. He's paying attention to things and he's writing about those things. So those outlets have a lot of power because they're driven by an individual typically who has their finger on the pulse in a different way than their finger on the wire, which is what primarily bigger news outlets have their finger on the wire. They don't really know what's going on. They just, this is what's coming through to them. So yeah, I think for me, like if I'm reading Daring Fireball, I know that John thought about what he was going to write. He discovered it himself. He dug into it. And and I just have more faith in what he's saying uh, than I would a media outlet that is basically just trying to get up their six articles or eight or 12 articles a day. And the best way to do that is to have a wire service, feed them information, which they can sort of manipulate slightly and then put up as an article. I think that also goes to the point of targeting where you want to be as opposed to these press releases being spam, which are typically blanketed to everyone hoping someone picks it up. But Jason, you're saying like you'd rather target. It, it's the same thing we say about hiring. And in fact, when you send a press release out like that, you're 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 saying, I'll take any job versus like if you want to go work at a company, you should target that company and make your pitch to that company. And so when you blast press release, you're not targeting anything. When you when you go maybe cultivate a relationship with somebody who's running a site or you whatever, you give them a tour, a personal tour, whatever it is. Like you're saying, I want to basically, I want to be hired by you. And in that case, hiring means like, I like you to write about me. That's what hiring is in that case. So I'd think about it that way. I think what's interesting here is the parallel to another chapter we had, and I think getting real called feature food. Instead of putting out a press release and hoping to get coverage because you wrote up the limerick of bullshit, put out something interesting, put out something with a hook. What can you tap into that will make your release inherently interesting? What are you doing that's like up in the time or slightly different or slightly interesting? We've gotten a ton of write-ups on once. Why? Because it's novel, because there's something to talk about, because there's something that's in opposition to an existing idea. That's always a good um, avenue to to pick. You shouldn't do it frivolously. You should do it because you actually mean it. But that's a way of um, driving your development by interestingness. Amazon had this idea of like, they actually used the press release, ironically enough. But like, write the press release first before you start, like, work backwards. How can we put something, how can we even design a product that's interesting? Is like, how can we describe it in an interesting way, right? And then work backwards for it. I think Jason and I often will look at things and go like, you know what? We want to do this but we, because we want to do it. But we also want to do it because it's interesting. So, for example, we um, just started selling Campfire on Coinbase or through Coinbase using crypto. Like, I don't, neither Jason or I are like the biggest crypto bugs in the world. Um, I think it's interesting. I absolutely, I changed my mind on it a couple of years back. I wrote a big piece that, that traveled very far about changing my mind on Bitcoin. So I'm like sort of philosophically aligned with the fact that there is something interesting here underneath the mountains and mountains of bullshit and scam and all the other stuff. But there's something interesting here. But it's also something to go, do you know what? There's going to be a community who really cares about this, right? And that community, if you pay attention to them 
they might pay attention to you. There is reciprocity going on here in that regard. I remember um, when we celebrated 20 years of Basecamp, I went back and read the original announcement. And Jason mentioned some of these feature f- food items. We had RSS feeds. This was kind of sort of pretty novel in 2004 to have RSS feeds for commercial collaboration software tool. You had RSS feeds to catch up on like Yahoo News or whatever. Not a lot of people had used them in this way. And we had, I forget what the other one was, Jason. We had another sort of hook. Maybe it was an API. An API at that time was also kind of novel. So you had that in. Both things were good. I actually used the RSS feed at the time. We we built things with the API. But we also did it with an eye to like, this is the alternative to a press release. You, you're not going to just build it and they're going to come. It just You can't just build something like, yeah, this is a nice thing. And then they're, they're no, no, no. You got to be interesting. So look at that as the alternative to press releases. Because when we say press releases are spam, what I often hear back is like, well, what else am I going to do? Like, if, if no one knows about me, how can I reach my customers? Yeah, absolutely. That's a real problem you have to solve. But try solving it by being interesting, building interesting things, looking for interesting angles rather than like, hey, what's the bullshit limerick I can sign up for and try to get something for free? Um, this is what I find, Jason, your example of comparing this to... Job applicants is very apt. Like I get a fair amount of resume spamming individuals who just sent me like, here's my resume. I'd love to work for you. And like, that's it. And I can tell it's spam. As in, I can tell I was one of a hundred or a thousand or 10,000 recipients of this. And like in, hey, it's always no. Like I'm not going to invest my time and my attention into you if you invested nothing into me. So Thinking of in terms of that reciprocity, you invest into what people care about, what they're interested in, what's up in the time, and then they will invest time back into you. I'm curious about, as founders, how much you feel an obligation to be promoting your own products versus it being a company message. I mean, I feel like you two in particular are very present on Twitter and doing YouTube videos like from the founders. A lot of companies, you don't see that. I mean, you mentioned the Mark Zuckerberg. I think that's a, a unique situation because we don't see that all the time, but I feel like we see it from you guys all the time. I am, I'm assuming that's intentional. Well, we've we've always done it that way. We like talking about the stuff. We're excited about the stuff that we're doing, so we kind of can't help it. But I remember a few years ago, we pulled back and s- decided like not to do that actively and let's see if we can like let marketing, like the, the idea of marketing replace our voices essentially. And it didn't. And it's not about the marketing so much. Um, it's just about like, it's, it's hard to find the authenticity, uh, in a message from a company when you're not sure who it's coming from compared to the Zuckerberg example is a great example. Like that could, if that was their like marketing communications person doing that, like you'd be like, yeah, I don't know. Or, or if it wasn't attached to, it was just like a, a random voice, you know, or, or, or an AI something. It's like, no, no, no. I don't know who this is. There is something about. Speaking directly, there's something about a human saying something that you know and trust or don't like, whatever it is, but it's a person saying something. Brands don't really speak unless you're a huge, massive brand like Nike or you know whatever. Companies like that do have a brand image that is cultivated. You almost think of a person of a of an athlete, you know, like. But that that is like extraordinarily rare, extraordinarily expensive. And there's no way a company like us can do that. So sort of our weapon essentially is, is just us. 
we're going to talk about the things we do. We're going to talk about it in a certain way that resonates. We're, we're reachable. We're accessible. We can respond. Brands can't respond. Like someone has to do the typing. Who is it? Who are you talking to when you're talking to a brand? I don't know. When you, when you, you know, at mention me or David on Twitter, like you're going to get us. No one writes our tweets. No one writes our emails. If you, our email addresses are, are public, you write us, you get us. That is always been, it's always been our way. I think it's the best way. I recommend everyone else do it that way as well. Um, and I think it's, uh, it's, it's an advantage that, that it's very hard to beat essentially when, when, when the people who are doing the work are the ones who are speaking about the work itself. So anyway, that's, that's my take and our take. And that's how we've always done it. Yeah. I'd say it's, it's, it's a full on superpower. Because this is not accessible to companies as soon as they get to not even that large, not even that large. You start having layers, filters of communication. You start having dedicated marketing people. And again, there's a lot of work. So the work needs to be, it's all, it's not about the marketing. It's about the superpower you have when the person with the most skin in the game is speaking directly to you. Like Mark Zuckerberg. Whether the Vision Pro is successful or the Quest is successful, like that's personal to him in a way. It's just not personal to someone who's going to have a three-year marketing stint at Meta. It just isn't. And people can smell it. They know it, right? So when Jason and I speak about our own products or our opinions on products in general, they can go like, all right, these two idiots at least have freaking skin in the game. They've been on here for 20 plus years pushing this stuff. I may not like what they have to say. I may not agree with what they have to say, but like there's a fundamental, I don't know if respect is the right word. I mean, both Jason and I get like a lot of disrespect (laughs) back in our feeds and elsewhere, but I do still think there is something to that. There is a respect for people who have skin in the game and you kind of trust that like if you have an interaction with Jason and I and you convince us of a point whether like, oh, it should have this feature. It should do this thing. There's a bug here. I had a bad interaction. Shit's going to happen, right? Shit's going to happen. If Jess and I go like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that person is really, is right. Like, we're going to set things in motion that's going to change things. And it happens all the time. I, um, I've had a bunch of e- email interactions with people like, perhaps they report a bug to me somehow. Like, they're writing something general. They're like, oh, this was, this was there. And then I'll write back to them the next day or the next week. Hey, by the way, that thing was fixed. And they go like, what? What do you mean? Like that shortness of the feedback loop, that directness of you can interact with the people who not just have the most skin in the game, which founders, owners will always have when it comes to a business, but also have the power to affect change, I think is really intoxicating. I think it's why actually X as a platform is so intoxicating for a lot of people that you have like, hey, I'm... Joe Smo here with three followers and I can interact with this mega account and I might get a response and we might get an interaction and something might come out of that. It's a super novel internet only kind of experience that just wouldn't exist otherwise. And I think it really is um, very attractive. This is why, I mean, there's a whole thesis here on the rise of influencer culture. And as much as I think pretty much everyone these days hate that word influencer, there's something in that that's not gross. 
That's actually authentic when you're not like renting it out. I think that's what most people react to, right? Like I'm an influencer. I will rent out my influence just so you can buy a piece of it. You can't buy a piece of Jason or I's influence. Like that influence is sort of natively being used to push the things we legitimately care about, have skin in the game with our own products and so forth. So um, I do think that that is the future of marketing. And I think if you look at the marketing discourse at large, like most companies below the megalodons of the industry are coming to that realization that this is what works. I also think it's interesting, and this isn't even just marketing, but layers, the two of you don't have an assistant. Like you don't have an executive admin, which most people would think as long as you've had your company and as successful as you are, surely there's a gatekeeper or there's someone who's going through your emails. But no, it's you. (laughs) It's directly you. I think, look, as, as if you if you run the shop, you have to delegate a lot of things, but you cannot delegate your voice. Uh, and a lot of companies do. They delegate, a lot of owners delegate their voice. And the voice is, is an email. It's it's a phone call. It's whatever it is. When, when, when If someone tries to reach out to you and you've delegated that to someone else or someone else is speaking on your behalf, you've gone too far. You've gone way too far. That's the one thing you can, you should never, ever give up and never let go of. Um, and so I think, you know, look, when we, we originally hired Andrea years ago, who, who runs people ops now, sort of as a general assistant to help us run the business at, on the day to day and sort of manage the office and whatnot. But it was never to speak for us. No one here speaks for us, but us. And every time there's ever been anything that seemed like someone was speaking for us, I got the, just the worst pit in my stomach feeling. It's just like, this is bullshit. I don't like it. And I hate, I hate it actually. I hate it. It's like there are very few things at work that I hate, almost nothing, but that I hate and despise. And it will not happen again. If it ever has, it will not again. Um, so anyway, don't delegate your voice. Don't delegate your accessibility to someone else. Um, deal with the, deal with the shit, and including customer service, you know, all the things like if you're going to get in there, respond. If someone writes you, respond. That's, that's how we do it. It's so funny because we have at times had other people than Jason or I write, for example, tweets on 37 Singles X account or, or other accounts that isn't even like, it's not someone is trying to pretend as us, but it's, it's still close enough that I get that pit Jason is talking about. And it's so interesting how subtle it is. I did not appreciate how much my personal connection to my specific voice, my tone, how deep that was until I saw it like just like half a degree off. And I just winched. I just like, oh man, I can't even look at it. Delete it. Delete it now. And like sometimes it's, it's, I mean, it's almost weird to say it. It sounds pathological, but like it could be the commas in the wrong place. And I just like, I can't, I can't deal with this. I can't even look at it. I just get, because what it does feel like is what we've built up, the brand equity over 20 plus years, is that, is that voice, is that uh, not just authenticity, but credibility and like trust that when Jason and I say something, again, we may be wrong, but it's us and we like believe it. Like we don't say shit we don't believe. We change our mind sometimes when we might believe a different thing, especially like 10 years later. But it is authentic at that level as it come from. And when someone else, when you've delegated your voice or even adjacently delegated your voice by having someone else write the 
tweets for 37 Sequels uh, account. It just feels like an attack on that. It feels like little, um, whatever, insects eating at the foundation of what's holding all of it together, right? Like, if Jason and I lost our credibility, our trust, our general, to, to just scamminess or, or whatever, it's over, right? Like, that's the flip side. That is absolutely the flip side of this. And this is why, um, in part, after some of the weird years of the, the COVID nonsense and whatever else, Jason and I were both like, you know what? Mm, could we try something more traditional? Could we try to not have it all be the pillars on like this voice that we share, um, even though it's distinct, they kind of come together. And we tried that and like, no, it did not. It didn't perform. So it didn't do the numbers. It didn't do the metrics. And it also just didn't kind of feel right. Right. And I think this is one of the blessings and curses of being this kind of business. You can't outsource your voice, which means you have this authentic voice, which means you can build up this direct trust. But it also means you can't outsource the voice. I just I haven't been on Twitter for like 10 days or something like that, which I mean, it sounds so fucking like an AA thing, like I'm expecting my medallion now here. And I kind of feel like, do you know what? That is a problem to some extent. Like if I just took two years off Twitter and like that's one of the main pillars, mm, that's probably eventually going to filter into something where it does matter. So it's a double-edged sword. There's no, there's a trade-off here. You can get a lot from it, especially when you're a small company, especially when you dare be direct, authentic, passionate, all the things that we just are, you got to also deal with the other thing. But then it does hinge on you. And like, then the pillar can fall apart if, if you're not there. So um, yeah, I, I sometimes wish I could have it both ways. I sometimes wish I could just, like Jason and I, I could just show up when we, whatever, wanted to, so to speak. And then like, all right, I'll take off six months. I don't think that kind of works in that model, but. We've gone a little off the subject, but I do have one question about this since we've kind of gone down this path of it being the two of you do you ever feel like you can't ever step away like you can't take time off you can't stop tweeting because it is you there's no one else that's making that voice yeah i mean i think it's again depends what you're trading off so we certainly can step away it does mean like less traffic it does mean less exposure and so it's, it's, it's something you have to measure in your mind in a sense, but your sanity is worth it. And, uh, and also refreshing yourself is worth it because you might come back stronger. Um, you can really, I mean, I've been feeling kind of burned out on social shit. I'm kind of really sick, frankly, of posting on LinkedIn, for example, I just like, don't like going there. And so I've kind of taken some time off or I've recycled some stuff, whatever, and I'm kind of rounding the corner where I have some new ideas and some things I want to write there that I wouldn't have if I just kept plodding through it, right? Um, but yeah, it, you do, to some degree, feel chained to it. And, you know, these platforms are kind of built that way and built for that, in a sense. Um, and it does feel icky. But, you know, out of all the things that could feel icky, that's not the worst thing. So, uh, you know, I, I'm, we're fortunate that we that we even can think about what would happen if we didn't do this. I mean, a lot of people don't have any audience, don't have anyone paying any attention. So like, you know, boohoo for us. But yeah, I, I don't, I don't frankly like the feeling that we must do this in a sense uh, to, you know, keep, to, to stay relevant or to stay in people's minds. I don't like that about it, but it is what it is. Yeah, I think that's just, it is the nature of the attention economy. And it's, it's amazing and annoying at the same time. It's amazing the sense that, um, 
it's even possible, right? Like if you had asked me, I don't know, when we started writing on signal versus noise, I wrote maybe like a couple of pieces a month. Now, like when I'm in full engagement mode with all of this stuff, like I'm writing fucking just tons of stuff every day. If you count up all the platforms, right? How many tweets am I individually interacting with? There's definitely been days over the last two months where I've probably written, if you count all the replies, like a hundred tweets, maybe in a single day, maybe more. I don't even know. But that's just a volume of interaction with other people that is, to me, an introvert, inherently draining. This is one of the reasons why I've actually just taken that step away. Now, I've, I think it's been like nine days. Again, my medallion here um, is showing for nine days I haven't been on, on X. I'm going to take a little longer to for exactly the point that Jason makes here. I found that you've got to have an off-season. You gotta have, sometimes there's got to be some degree of off-season. If you're just fucking playing like the playoffs nonstop 12 months out of the year, you're going to get hurt. I psychologically, mentally, in your head. Like you need that sort of downtime, that fallowness to ensure the future yield. If you're constantly just mining all the intention um, mechanisms that you have, they do, they do actually become icky. And I think this is one of the main forms of alienation in this modern attention-based economy. Like there are times where I feel like, am I me? Or am I playing a character? And I think as soon as you start seeing that reflection in the mirror shimmer a little bit, you got you to gotta take a time out. You got to take a time out and realize, first of all, it actually doesn't work if it is a character. Or I don't know, maybe it does work. I can't play a character for too long. So as soon as those lines start sort of blending and overlapping, I got to go like, all right, need a little bit of downtime. I need to get back to, I can't not say this because I just want to get it out in the world. Not I'm here because like, hey, it's fucking Tuesday and I got a quota to meet in terms of attention, hoarding, whatever. This is, I mean, the irony here is that this is one of the things when you do this kind of work and your marketing works this way, you get accused of all the time. Like literally every single thing that I've posted in the past several years, whether it's been our cloud exit, whether it's been once, whether it's been anything we've done, the accusation instantly from a certain proportion of the internet is you're just doing this for attention. And you're like, I couldn't work like that. If all I did was just instrumental, like I'm just doing it for the attention, like whatever we do next, we should only focus like what's the most attention grabbing thing you can do. Like that's kind of the definition of a troll, right? Like, I'm not denying that there are aspects of sometimes how I advocate for things that can appear trollish, um, but that can't be the the role you step into. If you do that, you're gonna you're gonna stare into an abyss that's gonna stare back into you, and it's not gonna be you're gonna fucking burn out, right? And this is you look at YouTube culture, you look at all these other attention farming culture, and you just see there's a lot of bad outcomes here where people who are supposedly these huge successes, they have a huge hot follow accounts, they have many views, whatever, feel like they're slaves to the system, to to the likes, to the engagement, to to the next video, to the next tweet. And you know, Jason and I, I think, well, let me just speak for myself. I've reached the point, I don't need to do shit. I could sit on a rock and stare into the ocean for the next 20 years and like my life, I could still pay rent, right? I don't need this. Actually, every single morning, I need to remind myself, I don't need any of this. I don't need it. So I got to do the things I want to do, mostly. 
right? You can't do all the things that you want to do only the whole time if you also want to work with other people and whatnot. But it's going to be primarily it. And I'm not going to fucking play a monkey, a role, a puppet for myself for like a year on. Like that shit, like, I don't know. Maybe you step into that role for, for a week or two when you got something and you really want to push. But then, <sighs> all right, breathe. Okay. <laughs> well, with that, we're going to wrap it up. Rework is a production of 37 Signals. You can find show notes and transcripts on our website at 37signals.com slash podcast. Full video episodes are on YouTube and Twitter. And if you have a question for Jason or David about a better way to work and run your business, leave us a voicemail at 708 708- 628-7850. You can also email us at rework at 37signals.com. 